0: Start in Ezekiel chapter one. Ezekiel chapter one. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you'll remember we didn't meet last Wednesday because of Vacation Bible School. You remember two weeks ago we started a study in the book of Ezekiel, and last week was largely introductory material. You can go on our website and click on podcasts, and you can get a, a audio recording of that if you want to go back and listen. If not, you'll get caught up to speed uh, tonight as we jump into Ezekiel chapter 1. We're going to look at chapter 1, chapter 2, part of chapter 3. We won't get all the way through chapter 3, and we may not get to chapter 3, so we'll just see how that goes. Um, I'll uh, watch our uh, time. Let me just pray for us and ask God to draw near and bless us in this study. Father, we're grateful for your for your grace in our lives, Lord, your unmerited favor, your undeserved blessing. And Lord, one of the ways you show us grace is by uh, using your word in our lives to, to transform us. And God, I pray that as we study the book of Ezekiel, that would happen. That you would transform us, that you would encourage us, that you would equip us, that you would strengthen us, that you would challenge us. So that, Lord, we would leave... Um, Lord, more determined to be fully functioning followers of Christ. So God, we just ask for your nearness, your blessing. Uh, Help us tonight, and we'll thank you for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, tonight we're going to study Ezekiel's call to preach, or his call to the prophetic ministry. And I've titled the, the teaching tonight, uh, a, a blueprint of God's call. We're going to see how God called Ezekiel, and I think there's some some similarities between how God called Ezekiel and how God called other biblical figures. Uh, it's not I, I didn't put the the blueprint because you know God calls people in different ways, but this is a blueprint, and again, there are some consistencies with other. Bible characters. I even see some consistencies with my own experience with the Lord and the way He called me into ministry. And so, it's been really exciting to study this and to think through this and to see what God did and how God worked. And so, we're going to look at a blueprint of God's call. Now, just a just a quick reminder of the outline. This is a really broad outline. If you were putting subpoints in the outline, you'd have tons of subpoints. But this is a a kind of Big picture outline, uh, it's there in your notes. It starts with the prophet's call in chapters 1 through 3, and then in chapters 4 through 24, it's a message of judgment um, from the Lord through Ezekiel, mainly for Jerusalem and Judah. And then in chapters 25 through 32, there's a message uh, for, or there are messages for, for other nations. And then there's a message after the fall of Jerusalem, which happened in 586 B.C., when Ezekiel was in captivity in Babylon, preaching. And then, uh, fifth, there is a vision of restoration, chapters 40 through 48. And here's a summary. We'll share this every week we study Ezekiel together. This comes from a professor I had in seminary, Dr. Kendall Easley. He writes, From exile in Babylon, Ezekiel's stunning visions and startling symbolic acts, we're going to see some of that tonight, were prophecies for the Israelites to teach God's sovereign plan over them in the history of His kingdom so that they shall know that I am the Lord, quoting God Himself. And so, just kind of a just really brief reminder of what's happening here. God had decided to judge His people, specifically the southern kingdom of of the Jews. You know, there was a civil war that that broke out in ten of the kingdoms fought against two of the kingdoms. The, the ten were called the northern kingdom. The two were called the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was judged by God before this time when he sent the Assyrians to overthrow them. This is the, the, the Babylonian captivity where God sent the Babylonians to overthrow the, the southern kingdom, um, uh, Judah and Benjamin, the, those tribes. And the Babylonians came three different times and overthrew the, the city and the surrounding areas, and then they took Jews with them back to Babylon. They took them in captivity. They were uh, forced to go back to Babylon. And Ezekiel uh, was one of those who was forced to go back to Babylon. He was a priest, but he was forced to go back. And even there in Babylon, God had a role for him to preach to the people who were in captivity and thought that there was no Hope. So that's what this this book is about. I like how William Greenhill says it. He's a Puritan writer. He wrote, Ezekiel is full of majesty, obscurity, and difficulty. In other words, it's a wonderful book. It's majestic. There is some great stuff we'll see even tonight. But there is a hard book. There's some things in it that are hard to understand. And so we'll we'll see that as we work our way through. But tonight I want us to look at a blueprint, not the blueprint but a blueprint of God's call, how God called Ezekiel into the prophetic uh, ministry. If you remember last week, I told you he was a priest, and he was 30 years old. tells us that in the first uh, section of Ezekiel. And when a priest turned 30, that's when they started their temple service. So Ezekiel was probably thinking, if I were back in my homeland, if I were back in Jerusalem, I'd be starting my service at the temple. I'd be taking my priestly Role, But now I'm in captivity. I'm far away from home. I feel like I have no purpose, uh, no meaning. I'm not fulfilling what God has called me to do. And he probably felt a little bit hopeless. But God was going to use this priest to deliver his message to the people of, of, of Judah and beyond. So let me show you just four aspects of this blueprint of God's call. And and I think you'll understand it as we look at the accompanying scriptures. First of all, he commanded Ezekiel's attention. He commanded Ezekiel's attention. So there are um, a couple different ways that God does this. First of all, notice the unexpected timing. God comes out of nowhere, in a sense, to get Ezekiel's uh, attention! Look what it says there in verse 1. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, that's a, that's a series of canals that, that, that came from the Tigris and Euphrates and went uh, through Babylon and around Babylon to irrigate and to, to provide water. He says, The heavens were open and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kebar channel, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Notice that little that little detail. It says it was in the fifth year, verse 2, of the exile of King Jehoiakim. Ezekiel came in that first, um, that first captivity, that first group of captives, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar marched into uh, Israel or into Judah. And he took Ezekiel captive with the royal family at that time. This is five years later. So think about five years. Five years he's in captivity. Five years he's living far away from home. Five years he's probably you know despondent and thinking, This is my life. I have no hope. I have no meaning. I have no purpose. I'm homesick. Five years God's forgotten about us. Five years God has, has uh, turned a deaf ear and a blind eye to us. Five years had passed by, but it was in the fifth year, in a very unexpected way. The Bible says that the word of the Lord came to him in verse uh, three, and he was given this vision of God. It says there in verse uh, one, The heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. So God intervenes uh, with unexpected timing. But then he gives Ezekiel, again, to get his attention unprecedented access. He gives him some access into the heavenly realms or the the spiritual realms. He allows him to see some things that that most people don't get to see. And just to kind of set up what he's about to see, do you remember the story of Elisha in 2 Kings? Elisha was a um, prophet of God and Elisha had a servant and one of the foreign nations uh, wanted to uh, come and destroy Elisha because Elisha kept telling his plans to the other, uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the king, so the king would be ready when the nations would come to invade them. And so this this foreign nation comes to march and kill Elisha. And Elisha is there, uh, he's a preacher with his servant, and here comes this army, uh, I mean, an army to deal with one preacher. And the, the servant says, What are we gonna do, Elisha? I mean, here's this army coming to destroy us, and Elisha said, "Lord, would you open his eyes?" And the Lord opened his eyes and allowed him to see the spiritual realm. Do you remember what he saw? He said, all along the, uh, all around the hills uh, surrounding the area where they were, he saw chariots of fire and and angels of fire, angelic beings. And the servant said, "Oh, I get it." God has more with him than they do, and so we're going to be okay. And God rescues them, strikes the four nation blind. But that's just a, a, a story about how uh, the servant of Elisha did not see the spiritual realm, but God allowed him to see the spiritual realm. Well, here in Ezekiel 1, God's going to allow Ezekiel to see the spiritual realm. He gives him unprecedented access. It's like a, like a backstage pass. Maybe you've ever been to a concert or something and you got a, a backstage pass and got to meet, uh, meet somebody famous or, or somebody you thought highly of. This is like a backstage pass for Ezekiel. And let me show you what this access is all about. He was enabled to see angelic beings. He was enabled to see angelic beings. Now, look what it says there in verse 4. Verse four, as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal, and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze under their wings and their four sides. They had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them went straight forward without turning as they went. So you say, well, who were these strange-looking creatures? These were angels. These were angelic beings. Now, how do we know that? Well, hold your place, but I want you to turn to Ezekiel uh, chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 15. This is in the midst of another vision that God gives Ezekiel. The Bible says, The cherubim mounted up, these were the living creatures that I saw by the Kibar channel. And when the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them. So he identifies the the creatures he saw at the Kibar channel here in chapter 1 were what? Cherubim. Cherubim, another name for angelic beings. And and, and keep reading. It says, The glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house in in chapter 10, verse 18, and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes. as They went with the wheels beside them. We'll see wheels back in chapter 1. And they stood at the entrance at the east gate of the house of the Lord. And the glory of the God of Israel was over them. Verse 20, These were, okay. what he's seeing in this vision, these were the living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel by the Kibar Canal, and I knew that they were what? Cherubim. So back in chapter 1, these, these really unique creatures that he sees, they, they are cherubim. It makes it very clear in chapter 2. He was able to see angelic beings. I want you to see two things about these angelic beings. First of all, they were majestic. They were majestic. Notice there that it says... Uh, There in verse 8, back in chapter 1, under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings. Thus, their wings touched one another. So they had these four four wings. But back up to verse 5. It says, this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. So they had a human likeness, but they had different uh, faces. Now fast forward down to verse 10. From the likeness of their faces each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. The four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. So they've got these massive wings that are touching one another. Uh, They've got these four faces. You can imagine trying to describe this. Uh, In fact, Ezekiel keeps saying in chapter 1, in the likeness of, appearance of, a likeness of, he's trying to explain it, but he knows he's not quite, uh, he's not able to get get across exactly what he's seeing. But they have these four uh, faces. Now, scholars believe that uh, these these different faces have meaning. So, the human face is a reminder that uh, humans are made in the image of God. So, it speaks of their coming directly from God. The the lion. Uh, was renowned for ferocity and courage and a symbol of royalty. The eagle was swift, the most stately of birds. The ox was the most valuable domestic animal, strong and powerful. And so these these different animals, the human face, all represent something about God and his creation. I like how Daniel Bloch says an Old Testament scholar. He says, Carrying the divine throne, the four-headed cherubim... "...declare that Yahweh has the strength and majesty of the lion, the swiftness and, mo- and mobility of the eagle, the procreative power of the bull, and the wisdom and reason of humankind." So these different faces say something about the, the creatures, but more importantly about their creator. Because they are representing God. So they're majestic. I mean, you can imagine how, how breathtaking it would be to see these creatures. They, they appear human-like in form, but it says the Bible says their feet are like uh, calf's feet. I, I, I laughed out loud today reading a, a commentary, and the commentary said their feet were bovine. I just thought that was funny. Uh, they had cow's feet, and that's unique, right? And you got four different wings. They, they, they have four wings and, and different faces. and, and, and it's just, It would just been very, very breathtaking to see these majestic uh, creations of God, these angels, these cherubim. But not only do I want you to see they were majestic, they were on mission. Look what it says back in chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Each went straight forward. Wherever the Spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. The fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures, watch this, Darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Verse fifteen. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for uh, for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl, precious metal. The four had the same likeness; their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome. The rims of all four were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Now look at verse 20. This is key. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went. And the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheel. So each of the angels—I'm going to try to explain this. Each of the angels had a wheel, all right, and the wheel was a picture of their movement. It says they're going to and fro, and, and and it says they are moving. Listen, in response to the Spirit. So God Himself, the Spirit of God, is giving them their orders, and they're moving in response to the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, would be a pretty good goal for our Christian lives, wouldn't it? Wherever the Spirit says go, go. That's what they were doing. Wherever the Spirit said go, they would go. And these wheels were really striking in appearance. He's trying to describe them. He says it's like there's a wheel, but there's a wheel within a wheel. And I was trying to kind of understand this. And I was showing my son Connor, my 7-year-old. Uh, I was showing him a little, just a little trick that I like to do. Claire doesn't like the trick. You'll know why in a minute. But, but um, we were sitting around our island in our kitchen. And I took off my, my wedding ring. And I spun it on that countertop, and I, I let him watch it spin. It gets spun and spun and spun, and and I was watching that. And I thought that's Ezekiel's wheel, because as it was spinning, you could see it was spinning so fast you could see the wheel in different, uh, the, the 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 ring in different um, uh, different states. So it's almost like you could see the wheel within the wheel. You could see the ring within the ring because it was spinning. So fast. So maybe that's something. What he's seeing? They're, these wheels are spinning so fast. He's seeing, you know, the different dynamics of it. I don't know, but it helped me think. Well, maybe that's kind of what he saw. This, th- these wheels were were moving so fast that it looked like there was a wheel within a wheel. Um, but they're moving in response to the spirit. They're moving in response to God. So here, are these cherubim, they are created by God to serve Him, and they are doing something, moving to and fro. Now, I just need to tell you this in case you read a commentary on Ezekiel and say, Pastor Wade didn't tell us this. I'm going to to tell you this real quick. Some scholars believe that that the the four wheels, one wheel for each cherubim that he sees, are the four wheels of the chariot throne of God. In other words, they believe that the throne of God, which we'll talk about in just a minute, was, was a chariot. And God moved on the wheels. The presence of God moved on the wheels that were with each accompanying cherubim. So some people believe this is the throne. We'll talk about in a minute was was moving with the wheel. Some believe that that it was separate from the throne, but that's just a, something you might see if you read it. Uh, but whatever the case is, he sees majestic angelic beings. He sees them on mission. They are moving uh, rapidly to and fro. The Bible says like. Lightning. So what did God do? He commanded Ezekiel's attention. Now, let's stop for a minute. Cherubim and wings and cow's feet and, you know, lion's I mean, it's, just, it's kind of crazy stuff, right? But here's the, here's, the, here's the big picture. Here's what I want you to see. God allowed Ezekiel to see this because he wanted to get his attention. Now, how many of you have ever had God get your attention? Raise your hand if you ever had God to get your attention. Happened to me now, not in this dramatic of a sense. God's never allowed me to see, uh, you know, manifestation of the angelic host. Uh, but God's got my attention in other ways, and and here's what I found, and maybe you found this too. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this moving forward as well. As I look back over my life, in those those major key moments where God gets my attention, it's usually because He has something for me to do. He wants to get my focus. Back on him, so I'll do what he wants me to do. Does that make sense? And that's what he's doing here with Ezekiel. He's getting his attention. It takes pulling back the curtains of of the spiritual realm for him to see what's going on. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel's like, okay, God, you've got my attention now. Right? So there is a, a commanding of Ezekiel's attention. But secondly, as we talk about the blueprint of God's call, he gave Ezekiel a fresh vision of himself a fresh vision of himself. So this vision is not just about cherubim and angels. I mean, as incredible and awesome as that is, that was just the that was the appetizer. Now he's going to see something even greater. Um, look what it says in verse 22. Over the heads of the living creatures there was the likeness of an expanse shining like the awe-inspiring crystal spread out over their heads. So he sees above the cherubim some sort of division, some sort of expanse. He says it's like crystal, right? And keep reading. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight one toward another. Reminds me of the Ark of the Covenant. We can talk about that later. Each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings, and there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads... When they stood still, they let down their wings. So there's a moment these angels moving to and fro like lightning. They stop. They, 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 they come to a place of stillness. And there's a voice. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne. In appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were... Gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. He's just trying to describe what he's seeing. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. That's a rainbow. So it was the appearance of the brightness all around him. Now look what he says next. This is critical. Such was the appearance of the likeness... Of the glory of God. Now let that just settle on you for a moment. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I said, What's up, God? Is that what the Bible says? When I saw it, I pointed and said, There's the man upstairs. What's he say? When I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. This gets his uh, his attention. He he gets a fresh vision of God. And and God again pulls back the curtains a bit so he can see this this likeness, this appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Now not the full glory of God because you can't look at the full glory of God and survive. Do you remember Moses had to be hid by God's hand in the cleft of the rock as he passed by, he could only look at God's, the, the back of God's glory because if he saw the fullness of God's glory, he, would be, he, he couldn't survive it. So he didn't see the fullness of God's glory, but he sees a glimpse of God's glory. And it's enough to get his attention, a fresh vision of himself. Now here's what I believe. Um, I believe this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. I believe this is an appearance of Christ In the Old Testament, I believe it lines up with Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord upon his throne, the train of his robe filling the temple. Isaiah 12 says that's a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the same vision Isaiah saw of the Lord Jesus is the the similar vision he sees here of the Lord Jesus Christ seated on his throne and it gets his attention. But there's a message here. There's a message. The fact that God is appearing is meant to communicate something to Ezekiel and to the people of God. Now here's the message. You look there in your notes. Even though the Israelites were enduring great difficulty and would experience further suffering, God was still on His throne. Even though the Israelites, the Jews, were enduring great difficulty and would experience further suffering, you're going to see as we work through Ezekiel, there's more bad stuff coming. God was still on His throne. He's trying to say, Ezekiel, I'm still in charge. I know it seems like that you are a victim of circumstances beyond your control. I know it feels hopeless and meaningless, and I know you're despondent, but Ezekiel, I'm still on my throne. Same thing in Isaiah 6. When he appears to Isaiah, the Bible says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. You know, in ancient times, when a king died, that was a time of great turmoil because there was often there are often rivals fighting for control of the throne. And and it's like the Lord saying to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, Hey, listen, I know King Uzziah is dead. He reigned a long, long time. And I know you're in turmoil, and I know you're anxious, and I know you're concerned, but Isaiah, I'm still on the throne. I'm still in control. That's what he's doing here in Ezekiel. He's reminding him, I'm still in charge. A fresh vision of himself. And also... Even though the difficulty was because of the sin of the people, God had not abandoned them. Again, if you read Psalm 137, the, 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 the Jews in exile are singing a song. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept as we remembered Zion. The people of God were far away from their home, and they were, they, were, they were broken by by homesickness and a longing to be back and sing the songs of Zion. And the Lord wants them to know by, by stepping in, by intersecting Ezekiel's life and the Jew's the Jew situation, I have not abandoned you. I know it's hard. going to get harder. You brought a lot of this on yourself, but... I'm still a God of grace. We'll see in Ezekiel 37. Hey, I know, I know your bones are dry, but I'm going to bring you back to life. And so God is showing his great grace to the Jews. He had not abandoned them. And so Ezekiel gets this verse. This vision, this fresh vision of the glory of God. Now, I like this quote from Ralph Alexander. He writes, "Throughout the Old Testament, God's prophets were confronted with a revelation of His glory that made an indelible imprint on their ministry." Now, listen. When they, the prophets, became discouraged, and we're going to see Ezekiel had a hard. He had a, he had some hard a hard task ahead of him. he's going to deal with some really difficult things. But it says. When they became discouraged, they would recall the revelation of God's glory at their commission, which spurred them on in the Lord's service steadfastly. Likewise today, if one is to minister for the Lord, that person must have first a divine confrontation and come to an understanding of God's great glory. Listen, for only in light of the knowledge of God will one have strength and perseverance to serve God humbly, no matter what the situation may be. The divine confrontation, the the reveal of God's glory adds seriousness and purpose to the call of God's servant. So here's what the commentator is saying. This vision of the glory of God would give Ezekiel staying power. When he wanted to give up and throw in the towel and say, This is too hard. No one's listening. They're rejecting my message. He would remember, Oh, but God showed me his glory. I've seen the Lord seated on his throne. I cannot give up. I'm a messenger of God himself. So this vision of the glory of God was meant to sustain Ezekiel, to get his attention, but to sustain him through the difficulties of his prophetic ministry. And again, I think it back to my own life. God's gotten my attention many times in my life. And there have been times where God has given me a fresh vision of himself. To just remind me of who he is and to get my focus back upon him. And to remind me that he is the one that is at work in and through me. So he gets his attention. He gives them a fresh vision. Number three, very quickly, he gave Ezekiel his orders. He gave Ezekiel his orders. I'm going to go quick through chapter two. but just I want you to see three things about the orders that God gave Ezekiel. Number one, I want you to see the recipients for his message. Look what it says in verse one of chapter two. He said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. Remember, he fell on his face when he saw the glory of the Lord. And the Lord has to help him back up. The Spirit has to help him back up, get him back on his feet. And he said, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, the Jews, God's people, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impotent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now that's encouraging, isn't it? Hey, Ezekiel, I'm going to send you with a message, and just so you know, the people you're going to share the message with, man, they are really, really stubborn. Probably not going to listen to words you have to say. Wouldn't that be encouraging on the front end of, of prophetic ministry? You know, I mean, what if, you know, I, you know, when the Lord was leading us here to Florida and up in Mississippi, what if the Lord had said, hey, Wade, send you down to, um, to, to First Baptist Fort Walton Beach and they are going to ignore everything you have to say. That'd be a little bit disconcerting, wouldn't it? Fortunately, that hadn't been the case. It'd been the exact opposite. But, but I mean, just think about getting that information on the front end. It's not, you're not going not, not to have a lot of success outwardly. It's going to be, It's going to be hard. The people I'm sending you to are stubborn, the recipients of his message. But then notice the content of his message. Look in verse 4. The descendants also are impotent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. So in other words, he's saying, You're just going to tell people what I tell you to tell them. You're speaking on my behalf. Thus says the Lord. You are speaking forth the word of God as a prophet. And then in verse 7, look what it says. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. So that gives us kind of an implication. He would be speaking a message of condemnation, correction, and repentance. He'd condemn them for their their rebellion against the Lord. He'd call them to get right with God. He'd call them to repentance. But God's saying, boy, they are a stubborn people. They may not hear you out, but that is the content of his message. But then look at the gravity of his message. Look at verse 6. You, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Don't you love how God's describing his ministry? Ezekiel is going to be like briars and scorpions. Enjoy. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Verse 8. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. He spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. He's saying this is an important message. I want you to to ingest it. I want you to eat it. We'll talk some more about that in just a moment. But he's just saying here this is a grave message. It's an important message. It's a message my people need to hear. It's, It's grave. It's full of grace. We'll talk about that. But it's grave. That's the message I have for you. So he gave Ezekiel his orders in fact, he does the same thing to Isaiah. If you read Isaiah 6, after he has this vision of the glory of God, the Lord says, whom am I going to send to go and tell people what I need to tell them? And in verse 8, Isaiah says, "Isaiah 6, here am I, send me. The Lord says, okay, Isaiah, I'm going to send you, but I'm going to send you to people that, that don't listen with a hard message. So he gives Ezekiel his orders. I'm reading a book. I just started a book. I'm not really deep into it yet. But it's about an Anglican uh, bishop who's well known for a book he wrote called Holiness uh, back in the, uh, let's see, it would have been the 18th century uh, on into the 19th. It would have been the 19th century. And his name was J.C. Ryle. You might have seen that name. Um, but it's a biography about J.C. Ryle and his upbringing and, and uh, his stand for the Lord and for his word. And the, the title of the book is this, Prepared to Stand Alone. The context in which J.C. Ryle ministered, he was going to say some things on behalf of God and stand for truth. And he was going to stand by and large by himself. He's prepared to stand alone. And, and in, in effect, what God said to Ezekiel is this, be prepared to stand alone. You may be the only one saying the things I'm telling you to say. But be prepared to stand alone. Which leads to the fourth part of this, this call. Very quickly, he reassured him. Because you can imagine Ezekiel saying, I don't want to do that. Find somebody else, like Moses. Find somebody else, right? But he reassured him. Three things, very quickly, Ezekiel needed to remember. Number one, God would give him the resolve to persevere. Look in verse 1 of chapter 3. He said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat the scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, your people, not to, my, to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for, you are not, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I've made your face, watch this, as hard as their faces. So I like what he's saying here. Hey, they're stubborn, I'm going to make you stubborn too. Your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than Flint have I made your forehead. You know what God's saying? Ezekiel, I'm going to make you a hard head. You're going to be a hard-headed prophet. Because you're speaking of hardheads, you need to be hard-headed yourself. And so he's saying there, Ezekiel, I'm going to give you that resolve you need to keep on keeping on. There are gonna be times you wanna throw in the towel, but you gotta keep on keeping on. Uh, my, my youngest son has discovered the Rocky movies, and I'm not real sure, Lee, if it's good for a seven-year-old to watch Rocky movies. Uh, it's pretty violent, but he loves them. And and so we've been watching Rocky movies and boxing, and and uh, you know, there's those scenes where Rocky is, you know, people are out, his wife's like, throw in the towel, you know, and, and he, he won't quit, right? He gets knocked down, he gets back up, and he keeps fighting. And uh, that's that's the idea here. He's saying, I'm going to to give you that resolve you need to keep on keeping on. Secondly, he should not fear. Look in verse 9, chapter 3. He says, like emery harder than Flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Fear them not. Don't fear. I've called you to this. I'll equip you. I'll be with you. Do not fear. You've probably heard this before, but... There are 365 occurrences of the command to not fear in the Bible. Do you know that? 365 occurrences. Do not fear. Do not fear. And that's one for every day of the week. God doesn't want us to live in fear. He didn't want Ezekiel to minister in fear. He said, you should not fear. He's reassuring him. And the third and last, he was to take the word of God seriously. Look in verse 10. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you receive in your heart and hear with your ears... And go to the exiles to your people and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Here's what he's saying. This is very critical. He's saying, Ezekiel, you got a message from me, but make sure you receive my words before you preach my words. Take my words seriously. That's why he tells him to eat his word. It's symbolic where he actually ingests the word of God. It tastes like honey right? Kind of a weird thing to do, but but he gives him a scroll. He eats it. That's to show him, you need to take my word in yourself before you give my word to others. Because we all know, don't we, that it's awful to hear someone in authority that communicates, do as I say, not as I do, right? We, I mean, we don't like that. We don't like someone in authority that isn't walking the walk to tell us what we ought to do, right? And so he's saying to Ezekiel, you keep the word of God and then you preach the word of God and, and I will be with you. Take the word of God seriously. So, let me close down. No, I went long, but I want to get to this point. Blueprint of God's call. He commanded Ezekiel's attention. He gave Ezekiel a fresh vision of himself. He gave Ezekiel his orders and he reassured him... Because he knew it would be hard. Now, we'll get a little bit further in chapter 3 next week. We'll talk about the watchman metaphor, which is used throughout Ezekiel. And he calls him to be a watchman. And we have the responsibility of watchmen in our lives. I'll talk about that uh, some next week. But these first three chapters really are centered on the fact that God is intersecting Ezekiel's life and calling him to prophetic ministry. And, and these four things, I see them in the call to Moses, you know, burning bush, Orders, reassurance, um, uh, you know, same kind of, you see it with Paul, you see it with different biblical characters, the same kind of uh, blueprint for God's call on their lives. And I just want you to think about this, because I want Ezekiel to be applicable to us all. When God gets your attention, and when God gives you a fresh vision of himself, he just reminds you of who he is. It may be... In a worship service, it may be in your quiet time alone with the Lord. It may be through a book you're reading. It may be through someone saying something to you. I don't, I don't know. But, but when God just intersects your life and just, just gives you that fresh vision of himself, consider, consider that God may have something for you to do. And the reason he had to get your attention and the reason he gave you a fresh vision of himself is because whatever he has for you to do is probably not going to be easy. And you're going to need that to sustain you as you follow God's marching orders for your life. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.